Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're covering the final two chapters of Catching Fire for our Hunger Games read-through. We are going to have another episode next week, but for our chapter-to-chapter read-through, this is it. We'll get started with a recap. Brittany, what happens in these chapters? The Alliance goes up to the Lightning Tree, and after wrapping the wire around the tree, Katniss and Johanna take the spool of wire down to the beach. Before they make it, it's cut by the tributes from District 2, and Johanna gives Katniss a concussion, cuts her tracker out of her arm, and leads District 2 away. Katniss makes it back up to the tree, where no one is except an unconscious Beatty. Katniss figures out he was trying to throw a knife through the gap in the force field with wire attached. She hears Peta calling for her, and Finnick and Anobaria are upon her when she thinks about Hamish's parting words about remembering who the real enemy is. She knows the capital is the real enemy and shoots an arrow with the wire attached through the force field and everything explodes. She's grabbed by a hovercraft and Plutarch closes her eyes when she gets aboard. When she finally fully wakes up, she takes a syringe to kill Peta and herself before the capital tortures them, but discovers Plutarch, Finnick, and Hamish in a room together. Hamish explains the plot to get them out and that they're headed to District 13 and that Peta, Johanna, and Enobaria were taken by the capital. Katniss attacks him and is strapped back down on a hospital bed until eventually Gail is there and tells her her mom and Prim are safe, but that District 12 doesn't exist anymore. So many revelations. I know. (laughs) All just right at the end. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot to cover in a recap. I can't imagine what it would feel like to be Katniss. (laughs) Right. Yeah, all of those times that we had spoilers for this book, finally we can talk about those out in the open. <laughs> this is why we kept being like, uh, spoilers, exactly. uh, spoilers, like so much more than in the previous book. Mm-hmm. But let's move into our striking moments, the moments that stood out to us during this read-through. So what moments did you want to bring? So one I just have to mention is that this is why Katniss is the greatest. Like, she did not know anyone was coming to rescue them from the arena and so she just decided to shoot that arrow through the force field to defy and humiliate and attack the capital and Mm -hmm. she was she was willing to let them all die just so that she could let the district see her overtly clearly strike out against the capital it would be the most direct way anyone has ever done that and I just I honestly don't think any of the other victors would have done that if they didn't know about the plan so yeah I think that that's just I was just thinking about that as I was reading that part of the book that this is why she is the one who can inspire almost a nationwide revolution yeah, because it's it's just instinct for her or, you know, so uh, ingrained in her to 
strike out at the Capitol when she has that opportunity. Well, yeah, and she's just, she knows how to make a statement. She knows Mm -hmm. how to harness agency in a situation where almost all of it is taken away from her in Mm -hmm. a way that, yeah, I don't think any of the other victors that, that we've seen thus far are able to do to the same degree as she can. Mm-hmm. She's able to make those decisions in the moment, whereas someone like me, I would much more be, let's have a plot, a plan, a scheme. <laughs> like, totally. that's how I operate. Uh, but so then I would miss those moments. Second guessing or thinking too much about, will this actually work? Or what would happen after, you know, these different things. But she's able to in in certain key moments just go with her gut and be willing to take the consequences for it yeah in just a powerful way yeah and you know that's a good thing for the uh the plotters because having not let her in and falling over it's very likely things would have gone very badly Uh, i will i will talk about this Another thing that was striking me more this time around was really thinking about Johanna, particularly in chapter 26, just how quickly Johanna Mason thinks on her Mm -hmm. feet as soon as the wire is cut. She deduces this was District 2 and incapacitates Katniss, cuts the tracker out of her arm, makes it look like... Katniss is much more severely injured than she is and leads District 2 away in another direction, not only to make them leave Katniss alone, but also, I'm sure, throw the tracker away Mm -hmm. farther from Katniss's body. And it's just that so many decisions to make in such a short amount of time that she was not planning on. You know... uh, Should she have just let Katniss, with her bow and arrows, try to take Brutus and and Obaria out? Mm. Maybe. But, obviously, at that point, then there'd be no need for the lightning plan. Which, since that was a ruse anyways, it would be a very big problem if if they were like, Yeah, we still need to do this. You know, it just, it wouldn't make any sense. Also, I wonder if, you know, from... Johanna's point of view, she would probably think Katniss would be much more likely to kill her right then if the careers were out of the way. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it must have been a difficult decision to make, but she made it so quickly and, yeah, was just able to, like, execute it so seamlessly and... And parse so many factors so quickly. Exactly. And in a way that people watching in didn't know what was going on. Like, Mm -hmm. thought that there wasn't any plot going on with her actions here. It was just that she was taking the opportunity to take Katniss out and escape, you know. And so, yeah, I was just kind of impressed anew with her in, in that scene. Yeah, totally. And... The last thing that I want to talk about with striking moments is just that I think at the end here, Hamish was being a complete coward. 
<laughs> which is not something I generally think of when I think of Haymitch. But he didn't want to face Katniss until he absolutely had to. Mm -hmm. He should have showed her his face when she was strapped down and coming in and out of being sedated and being awake. And he should have explained what happened when she woke up so that she wouldn't just be strapped down to a table distressed for days, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that. I think he was just being a total coward. It he also didn't takes want to him face her. a long time to bring up what happened to Peta. Right? It's not the first thing that he explains when mm -mm. it is certainly the most important thing on his mind. And I mean, the lying about District 13 was definitely a betrayal. The not telling about the plot at all and just letting her go through well her and Peta go through these emotional terrible circumstances and stress is a betrayal as well but then lying to her uh, with the agreement that they had made is another betrayal and so it's just like own up to it dude Mockingjay should just start with betrayal <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I don't know I, I was just thinking about as smart as he can be. Um, yeah, it was just kind of interesting seeing him as being cowardly here instead of apologizing to her, instead of going to her first to mm -hmm. explain. Uh, he just waited until it happened to him, until he had to. Um, not that she would have reacted to it well at all, but I could imagine she at least would have reacted a bit better than just happening upon him talking with Plutarch like they're old pals, you know, like I would yeah. be so furious. <laughs> so, yes. Those were my striking moments. What about you? Yeah, I, I had a few as well. Uh, the first one that, that hit me as I was reading through was when Katniss is talking about some of the actions that they're doing early in chapter 26, and she just kind of offhandedly says that everyone is caught up in Beatty's trap. Um, mm -hmm. As in, like, they're all invested in it, and they're all ready to do their roles in it. But reading through it this time, I, I thought, you know, in a way, all of Pan M is caught up in Beatty's trap. That there is mm -hmm. this trap that's going on, this this plot that, uh, you know, Beatty's clearly at the center of, logistically, and that this is something that is going to have huge repercussions for all of Pan M. And so, yeah, that was just, a, I think, an interesting idea, because at first I was like, oh, you know, little do you know, Katniss, how much you're caught up in Beatty's trap. But then, even thinking a little harder on it, I realized, like, you know, everyone is very much caught up in Beatty's trap, which I think might even be the, the word she uses. She either uses everyone or we're all. And, mm. you know, that kind of all-inclusive universal language I thought was really interesting considering the, the truth of the matter. Totally. Snow is caught up in his trap. Absolutely, yeah. Ha 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 ha. Another thing that stood out to me was how after Johanna hits and, and cuts Katniss, Katniss starts thinking about kind of the strategy that Finnick and Johanna's relationship would have and how she never really imagined that Johanna would betray Katniss without considering 
continuing her alliance with Finnick. And especially with our kind of focus on Johanna and Finnick's relationship, we don't see much of their actual engagement here, but it was interesting seeing Katniss kind of reflect on on that and think about how, okay, well, if Johanna hit me, then that means I can't trust Finnick either, like, automatically. And in a way, it made me think how, at that moment, Katniss could so easily vilify Johanna as someone who is only out for herself, for otherwise malevolent. Um, and mm. she doesn't do that. She thinks strategically about what's important to Johanna, or who's important to Johanna, and how she might be thinking in this situation, um, but not as an enemy or as a villain, but as, you know, someone else in a similar position that she's in. So I just thought that, that was an interesting element because we've also seen how Johanna and Katniss don't like each other in this book, but they also have this kind of respect for one another. Yeah. They don't like each other, but they don't hate each other. <laughs> exactly. She doesn't look at Johanna as an enemy or as a villain, um, the way that she looked at, for example, the careers in the first book. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to mention was how Katniss, when at the end, when she's talking with Finnick about Annie, Katniss kind of relates to Annie. You know, we've talked a lot about how the use of the term mad is so othering of Annie and ableist mm -hmm. um, throughout this book. And, and I think that that is all very true. But I was struck by just this kind of small moment of humanization of Annie here, which is in a way more powerful because of all that othering that's happened where mm -hmm. after a book where Annie has been in a way dismissed as someone who yeah went mad from all the horrors that she suffered in the games we now see Katniss considering herself as being on that same path seeing herself as having being like Annie in the future and I think that that's an interesting dynamic I still don't love the way that the book handles Annie's trauma generally, but yeah. I did at least find this moment a interesting one considering how it subverts all of the more negative aspects that we saw before. Yeah, that that is really interesting because she's been othering Annie and even, I know we mentioned before, how she and Rue did that when they were having a conversation in book one. Mm-hmm. Uh, with people who are neurodiverse, the, the, yeah, the, there is a, a common thing of her othering them. And then now it gets to the end of this book and she's othering herself. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, it just kind of was a moment that I, I literally did pause and kind of start thinking through those elements because I found them more intriguing after our conversations thus far. Mm, definitely. But let's have some new conversations now in our From Another Point of View section, where we look at perspectives other than Katniss's. So, <laughs> I enjoy just sitting and smiling to myself, thinking about Snow reacting <laughs> to Katniss blowing up the forest fields. <laughs> and... I just imagine him in some lavish study and some like 
crushed velvet couch or I don't know, you know, something ridiculous with a huge projected screen or whatever. <laughs> Way overdressed to like be in his own home, you know. Mm-hmm. And him just being utterly shocked for several seconds then immediately contacting Plutarch who was Mm. there and him realizing his own head game maker betrayed him (laughs) which is just so excellent because even though I think he would be quite shocked at what Katniss did he also always saw Katniss as dangerous since the last games and so even though yeah I think he would be surprised and he wouldn't have seen this coming I think he would expect it more from her than he would expect this betrayal from Plutarch Mm. someone that he would think he just didn't have to worry about and that even people in the capital aren't under his control and so I was just imagining him having his collected and controlled demeanor just crack and him just going into a fit of rage, maybe in a tropey way, throwing like some ornate whiskey glass across the room <laughs> because we always see that in things. Mm. And I could see him just like having a little mini tantrum. But then, like, very quickly after that, getting on to the next course of action to contact other people to send out jets to destroy whoever must be going to rescue Katniss and, you know, trying to track Plutarch down and, you know, then jumping into action, but him having a few moments of just unraveling a bit because he never would have imagined this was possible. Mm. And he has been so arrogant, so narcissistic since he was a child, as we know from Songbirds and Snakes, and just always thinking he's above people and more deserving of people to rule, you know, and all of these things. And him just realizing how things are falling apart drastically. And it was just maybe it's not a good thing on my part that I enjoyed imagining that so much but I did (laughs) (laughs) confession time (laughs) yeah I was actually thinking about him a little earlier uh, him and the other game makers people Mm. who would know the importance of the tracker and the location of it and Mm. to, to wonder if they would respond immediately or start questioning things immediately once the tracker was once Johanna took the tracker out of Katniss's arm, um, mm. if, you know, there was anyone who, especially, you know, a game maker who was like, wait a second, that was her tracker, looks around and Plutarch's gone and doesn't know who to talk to about that. The whole, mm. you know, so there's less of a response there. But then Snow, who, yeah, if he's watching, uh, would he see that as a first step in something wrong going to happen or... Is uh is he able to continue watching until that great moment you just imagined of, <laughs> of the surprise of the real rebelliousness of Katniss? 
Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. I would assume that he would have taken action sooner uh, and just, like, blown the whole arena up mm. uh, if he had known that clearly that there was something like this happening or released all of the mutts in the entire arena so they can go anywhere. You know, something yeah. that would have all of the victors die quickly but in a way that would still be very dramatic yeah. uh so i yeah i kind of wonder too if plutarch had someone else who's a part of the revolution that was also a game maker that had to stay mm. and so that these things wouldn't be known yeah, or if there, if there was additional sabotage that they did on their mm-hmm. end or, or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I imagine that you could hack it and make it look like the tracker is somewhere that it's not or something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of wonder, too, if there were other people who had to stay and then would be subject to torture, questioning, all of that, while Plutarch got to get out. Yeah. Another person's POV I was thinking about is and this is a spoiler for like something that's mentioned in literally the first chapter of mocking jay so people can decide what they want to do with that but (laughs) um and so i was thinking about madge's perspective because she's nowhere on the page but we find out in mocking jay at the beginning that her and her family their mayoral house you know like it was destroyed it was bombed so i was just kind of imagining madge watching these last few hours of these games i kind of think that probably sometimes light would glint off of katniss's gold mockingjay pin Mm. every so often because it's gold (laughs) i was just kind of thinking of Madge seeing that and it making her a little bit happy every time she sees it because she knows what it represents Mm. and since she lives in the house that Katniss first found out about the uprisings just walking by a door in that house I would assume that Madge also knows that districts have been revolting and the Mockingjay is that symbol is a part of it I was also thinking about her being so worried for Katniss, just glued to the TV to see if she'll make it out of this night, out of these games, alive. Then when she sees Katniss make this choice to blow up the force field, instead of kill Enobaria, I'm sure it was a very, very short amount of time that you actually saw any of that before the cameras cut out and everything. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of thinking about Madge being shocked and then proud and then scared in quick succession. Mm. Then I picture her asking her dad what is going on. And then as the minutes pass by and then a half hour and then an hour and he still isn't contacted by the capital she can sense his stress and i was thinking about her just having this feeling of dread and anxiety until she hears 
the roar of hovercrafts approaching quickly and starts hearing bombs go off and then that's the last thing she ever hears mm-hmm. it was just like a really sad moment because she's had a role to play in this story it was her aunt's pin that she gave Katniss and it was that pin that convinced Rue to ally with Katniss and that on screen united two districts that hadn't allied in the games before and you know so on and so on and and now Katniss has become this symbol of the Mockingjay and you know Madge used some of her agency and her privilege and it did help make an impact on the ways things unfolded in this story and you know she was completely cut out of the movies yeah so yeah i just i wanted to spend a little time thinking about her last moments since we never get that yeah absolutely madge is definitely a a character i really appreciate and admire and wish wish we got more of definitely what about you what are the other points of view you're thinking about so similar to our discussions about PETA and PETA's depression and possible acceptance of dying, I wanted to think about Finnick and how he yeah. starts talking about how he wants to die. He wishes he was dead and that Annie was dead and that they were all dead. How much pain he is likely in, but even more so how much fear he has for the pain that is going to be inflicted on Annie because of his actions and the emotional distress and despair that would come with that. He wishes that he could kill himself just so that he doesn't have to experience it, but Hamish tells him that that would just lead to her death anyway, so he chooses to live and face that despair to do whatever he can to keep her alive, even as he wishes that he wasn't, uh, and that maybe even she wasn't, because it's just all so painful and so hard and such a uh, awful situation to, to be a symbol and to be a celebrity who makes that kind of choice. Yeah. But he, you know, he mentions that he's the one who explains that the other tributes all agreed that if necessary they would die to get Katniss out uh, and Peta out because it would help get Katniss out and how that itself must have been a hard choice. He and all these others have agreed to put their lives on the line. That takes a great deal of strength but then with especially the fear of what's happening with Annie, I find it interesting to think about how Finnick you know, though he supports the rebellion, he no longer has the strength to fight in that rebellion, to be a soldier or to be anything else because he is so traumatized and affected by the trauma that he knows is going on for the person he cares about most. Yeah, I just think that it's a uh, a really, really awful but kind of poignant example of how hard these choices are to be a part of a resistance when you have so much to lose and when you have people who you care about who the capital has control over absolutely and which you know i re- i'm glad 
is in there because otherwise you wouldn't see the sacrifices of the people who decided to be in this plot in the same way. Mm-hmm. It would just be like, oh, look at this smart plot they had going that you didn't know about. Yeah. But it makes it much more real and that those actions have ramifications that he's suffering with now, even if he wouldn't change what he decided to do. Absolutely. Well, I add one other perspective, and this one is thinking a little bit out of the box because I was thinking about what it's like for someone who's reading these books or someone who was reading these books while they were still being released. And so someone who finished Catching Fire without having Mockingjay out yet. Maybe having to wait, what, a year between publication, but maybe not even knowing what that third book's title is going to be. Because Mm. that wasn't the case for me. When I downloaded Kindle versions of these books, when I first read them, they were all out. The movies were all out. So I knew that Mockingjay was the final part of the series. And so when Katniss is told, you're the Mockingjay, that didn't have any kind of effect on me, my first read through. I was just like, yeah, she's the Mockingjay. That's why the last book is called Mockingjay. You know, (laughs) it's been kind of pushing that the whole time. Like, yes, okay, she's the Mockingjay. And I feel like the moment was meant to be kind of a bigger one. And so I started, yeah, putting myself in the shoes of someone who didn't know the title of the third book, hadn't heard elements of what happened or seen commercials for the movies or anything else like that. They just read this book and then it ends as it ends. And and you get this big moment of hearing, oh, Katniss is herself the Mockingjay. She, she's become this figure, this symbol that the rebellion is really built up around. And the rebellion is starting in earnest, but Peta's not there. And in fact, Katniss, her choices in some ways helped ensure that Peta wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. right? She mentions that she didn't save him, but instead condemned him by destroying the force field. And, yeah. you know, this is very typical second part of a trilogy ends in a dark place where you know the the ramifications of the protagonist actions start to where's to han get solo back exactly uh <laughs> luke loses his hand and finds out his his dad's uh, uh an evil genocidal villain and so here we obviously katniss gets a lot of bad news too and so yeah thinking about what it's like for someone who can't just immediately open up mockingjay um but has to wait a long time to figure out what's going to happen now that rebellion is on now that Katniss plays this role Peta is caught Peta is a, is a prisoner District 12 is gone Collins I think generally is very good at making you want to read more making a book hard to put down and when you have to put this book down and there's no other book to pick up I can just uh, imagine how difficult it was I mean I read the first time I read these books I read them in about three days uh, you know very very quickly and that was very easy for me to do because I had access to all of them. Uh, so yeah, it was just interesting. And also interesting. because you're one of those. And I'm one of those, yes. And I didn't have internet at the time, so you know what else was I going to do? <laughs> so yeah, it was just interesting thinking about that experience uh, because it was so different from my own. Fun little meta POV. Exactly. <laughs> but let's head to our next section. These are our touch points where we find connections between the world of Panem and our own society. 
there were two main ones I was thinking about and one is just again I really appreciate how there is follow-through with PETA and his prosthetic leg mm. because so often the I mean you mentioned Star Wars earlier Luke's hand gets cut off well yeah. then in Return of the Jedi he has a robotic one and like you don't really see any difference. It looks like a human hand. It's not even like a robot-looking hand. <laughs> like, it's just human Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just the actor's <laughs> hand. Um, <laughs> and here we see that it does affect him in the arena. And mm. it's why Katniss and Johanna Mason had to go down with the wire. He couldn't go because he wouldn't be fast enough with his prosthetic leg as fast as they needed them to be and it's also why he can't make it into the 12 o'clock wedge time before mm. that closes up uh Katniss can hear him trying to get to her but she knows that he won't be able to make it in time so everything that happens to him in the next book is partially because of him losing his leg because of these sadistic games um, because it affected him in a way that i mean that that would always change your life to some degree but in just really intense ways in the next book um Mm -hmm. so yeah just seeing a follow-through there i really appreciate because if it was movie PETA, <laughs> who was healed by a solve, um, then that shouldn't have been the case, you know? Absolutely. The other one I was thinking about, this is kind of sexism combined with disregarding young people. Mm. Because near the end of the book, when Katniss wakes up and is no longer restrained... She literally could have killed Beatty right then mm-hmm. and there. She even thought about it. But instead, she was like, if I kill him, then this monitor is going to beep and I won't be able to kill PETA first. Mm-hmm. I'll try to come back if I can. So she really could have, if she wasn't smart enough to think down that, okay, if I do this, is it going to alert anyone? Yeah then she would have just killed him as a merciful act just because no one bothered to explain to her what was going on Mm -hmm. or give her any sign that she wasn't in danger. And so she's just sitting there for days and she's knocking herself out. Like, she's hitting her head and she's already been concussed and then she's sedated and then the same thing happens. You know, yeah, she was just treated like a pawn yeah they move her around when they need to and they don't treat her as important when they don't need to so then the the image of these men just sitting around a table making decisions for Katniss and not seeing her as a person not valuing her enough to have someone wait in the room for when she wakes they just assume that she'll do what they expect her to do and it's demeaning and it's dehumanizing yeah which is super common with patriarchy 
and also with young people who are often so frustratingly seen by the older generation as bringing hope for the future. They'll fix things, mm. they'll change things. But those same people who, you know, get this so-called hope from the youth also don't listen to what youth want or treat them like their ideas are valuable or that they're capable in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I just saw those things going on with how this whole situation is treated and... Yeah, I would be enraged if I was Katniss. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised it t- took her that long to attack Hamish. Yeah. I mean, she's nicer than people have the right to ask her to be, you mm-hmm. know? And just like, oh, let's sit around and talk about strategy and what's going on. When, like, this whole person who helped enable you to be able to do this is yeah, completely kept in the dark about it and it's so just central like, to what they're thinking about but right yeah. and so and you know she thinks this like they're using me i'm just mm-hmm. a piece in their games yeah and yeah that that is how they've been treating her oh absolutely yeah it's it's infuriating well to continue your thoughts about you know how people are treated in society sure the young vote is important. Getting young voters out to vote for your, your party is important. But actually including <laughs> them within your party, actually, you know, having their ideas and their representation be an important core part of your party. Oh, no, no, no. Can't have that. No. We've got too many old white men that we need to have in those positions. Let's just keep getting the same person over and over and over and over again elected rather yeah. than getting... The people who are going to have to be burdened with your (laughs) bad decisions or a lack of appropriate actions for the situation that the country is in, that the world is in, you know. (laughs) But it's like, oh, look to them for hope. But yeah, it's just as a symbol. It's not because you're actually taking them seriously. Yeah. They can't be taken seriously until they're on your quote-unquote level mm-hmm. which they never will be because you'll always be older than them you'll always be more experienced so-called than them well yeah i mean look at the tenor of the attacks against aoc and other mm-hmm. members of the squad and other young female members of congress who have shock new ideas and mm-hmm. uh care about the climate that they're going to have to live in as it changes and you know all these other kinds of things and yet the way that they're dismissed is very much gendered very much ageist uh, and, and absolutely mm-hmm. at the intersection of those things totally so that that's what i was thinking of a bit yeah. when i was reading that very good point what about you what are your touch points well speaking of just how awful society is in general Uh, (laughs) I found it compelling and understandable how Katniss, after she takes down the force field, she makes all the worst assumptions about what's happening afterwards. She Mm -hmm. imagines that the missiles are fireworks, people celebrating the oncoming deaths of these tributes, that she's being taken so that they can kill her slowly and publicly. 
and you know yeah. all these things that that turn out to be incorrect but she has these yeah these assumptions of of how awful everything is and you know how awful the capital totally is, is going to be feasible but not actually what was happening exactly yeah and that makes sense uh and in fact as someone who has lived in an oppressed life like that those kinds of assumptions these those ex- that expectation of the worst is in and of itself a survival tactic and mm-hmm. it's something that i've seen you do at times as well uh where <laughs> yeah. as someone i was gonna who, say some of the times we have conflict <laughs> yeah absolutely you know where you as someone who is disabled by society who has no faith that society will do anything or even maintain what's currently there to help you out uh, is something that I don't have to think about in the same way. And so it doesn't come naturally to me. It's not a survival tactic that I've evolved from my own experiences. Yeah, it just kind of reminded me of, of kind of how Katniss is engaging with this right here and, and then how in our society we are seeing right now the reasons that complacency and belief in safety uh, even of the the rights that you already have are naive at best because this is the first episode we've recorded after the Roe versus Wade decision was handed down by the Supreme Court and statements have been made that even further rights want to be scaled back by this extremist radical Supreme Court right now. So yeah, it uh, it, it makes sense that people would, especially people who have already experienced oppression and state violence and and uh all the ways that society makes life harder on you um when you are in a marginalized community would be reticent to feel like they can count on the few rights or privileges that they already have and that instead believing that it's possible and being prepared for the worst case scenario is uh, a way that you may need to live to survive and then the other touch point that I had, uh, continuing this journey into how awful the world is and has been, is going to be talking about essentially the concept of total war. Mm. Essentially, it's this idea that's a pretty modern one that as countries go to war and particularly industrialized countries go to war, all of an industrial economy can be supporting of the military. That makes it so that what were once considered civilian and non-military targets now can be seen as military targets and therefore targeted and destroyed. And so that kind of massive destruction of civilian centers has been intensely on the rise, particularly since World War II. And World War II saw what I think is the best analog to the wholesale destruction of District 12, which are the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 because these were two cities that were in many ways obliterated they were almost wholly destroyed hundreds of thousands of people killed yeah they were cities they weren't military not military bases uh considered valid targets because the civilians in them were participating in manufacturing that supported a war but they were civilians they were not military targets themselves and you should ever atomic bomb of course militaries but yeah like it's another step in the brutal inhumane direction exactly and much of the 
use of the bomb, like the motivation behind these bombs was similar to the destruction of District 12, meant to be a show of power, an example that is meant to stop resistance, right? Many people considered it one of the only ways to ensure a Japanese surrender, whether that was valid or true I mean, it was heavily debatable. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't, and, and even, like, if United States military leaders are saying, nah, this isn't a good idea, this isn't necessary, um, yeah. Totally, yeah. Even though some put forward that as a justification, it's not a justified thing no matter what, and even... Yeah people at the time knew that to be the case. But yeah, so I think that that's something that I just wanted to make sure we touched on because we learned about the destruction of District 12 at the end of this book. And uh, that is not, uh, though it is obviously a, a an awful and extreme measure that was taken by the Capitol, it is not one that is entirely fictional. It's not something that could not exist in our world because it has existed in our world. Absolutely. But on that note, let's head into our wonderments, our questions after reading these chapters. Uh, yes, on the terrible notes. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, clearly this is bothering me. Going back to that decision not to tell Katniss or Peta even some of the plan, mm-hmm. I just don't buy the... It was too risky in case they were caught reasoning. Yeah. Because we know that when people are tortured, it does not matter who they are. At some point, they will break and even give information that is untrue mm-hmm. about something that they had no involvement with just to make the pain stop like they will say anything to make the pain stop and that's why confessions under torture are not reliable and they've done studies on this yeah and human rights lawyers have tried to argue this against the use of torture because of how unreliable it is and so for some reason Beatty and Wyrus would hold up better under torture than Katniss and Peta. you know like it just to me the reasoning doesn't make sense. And so I just, I want to know what the actual reasoning was. Mm. Were people split on this decision? Was it based on that Katniss sometimes can lie well and sometimes can be too obvious about certain things that other people can know it about her before she does? was part of it that even though she has proven that she can lie well in certain circumstances but like even if that was a reasoning that they would have then why not at the very least tell Peta some of the logistics mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's a brilliant liar so I, I just I don't understand that so yeah I just I, I wonder if it's that they just underestimated Katniss and Peta because they were young and less experienced Hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree that the the entirety of keeping them out of the plan feels less well-developed, I think, than it, it sh- should be. You I know, mean, like, I don't doubt like an... that people would do it. Again, like we were talking about, just like people underestimating, you know, Hamish is 25 years older than Katniss and Peta. 
the youngest person that we know of that was in on the plan was Johanna, who probably won, I don't know, seven years ago or something like that. So she's like been in this situation longer. I, I don't know. Like, so I could see people making those decisions, even though they're not based off of good reasoning, but it's clear totally. that it was completely foolish on their part yeah. because all of them would have died if Katniss didn't happen to figure out Beatty's plan with the wire and then choose to do it herself as a rebellious act. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, I read it a little differently, I think. Um, okay. That they were kind of trying to explain that they wouldn't tell them because they were going to be the capital's biggest targets. And so I interpreted that as to mean, like, they would be the hardest to rescue. And so because they'd be the hardest to rescue, it would be more dangerous to have them in on the plan than others, Uh, which I still think is a flimsy excuse, but is, I think, kind of a weirdly different one of saying, like, oh, you were a threat because you were important. You know, I still don't think that it was, It's like you said, a smart idea. I think it's still very foolish, but uh, I, I saw that as what they put forward as their rationale. Yeah. Because, I mean, at the very least, you'd think you could just be like, hey, we're working on a plan. We'll see if we can carry it out, but just know maybe maybe we can get you out. So you, they don't just go kill their potential allies, you know? <laughs> if Canis just hadn't been observant enough to take in and then change her actions based off of Finnick wearing that bracelet, like... Mm-hmm. And Hamish saying this thing that he wasn't even originally going to say to her about knowing who the real enemy is. Mm-hmm. Something that he just kind of adds in at the last moment but becomes so vital yeah well i mean that's the thing like maybe katniss didn't need him to tell her that like she's always known who the real enemy is which she's Mm -hmm. even thinking in the moment maybe regardless of him saying that maybe she always would have taken taking out the force field as her choice but um yeah yeah it's just making so many assumptions on such vital things (laughs) Mm -hmm. particularly with that deadly of an arena like if the arena was less deadly i could see it a bit more but there's no way katniss and peter would have survived without the team yeah so yeah i just i i have questions about that yeah valid what about you what are your wonderments i want to know what chaff has been up to uh in particular definitely he was up to here at the end because Mm -hmm. he's obviously very close to everything that's going on and I wonder if there was an element of strategy involved in why they never encountered him. If he knew that if it was all of them allied against the two careers, that that would make it harder for the games to continue on until they're able to enact the plan. And so I wonder if there was an element of him having to act as if he wanted to be on his own and that he didn't want to attack anyone. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. He just kind of wanted to be out there as a possible threat that could then give more credence to the rationale behind this huge alliance that Katniss is a part of. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that is what it is. I think that going in, even though he knew about the plan, the plan was never for him to join the rest because you can't have one big group or else the game makers will be forced to try to break them up or kill Mm -hmm. some of them when it was like that unbalanced because we know that they are not just going to go around hunting everyone else down. (laughs) Even though it's like, oh, we're kind of like the careers. We plan for this and we have a team. They're not going and hunting anyone down. So yeah, you need someone else to be able to pan over to cut to them when they're getting too close to what the plot would be or you know something like there has to be other distractions for the games to feel more like games and not just a big plot totally but then i wonder you know what whether he was still trying to stick close to them but not too close, uh, you know, so that if he needed to, like he does, step in to help kind of save something, then he can do that. Or if he was just in the area because he also knew when this was going to happen and he needed to be close so that he could be picked up or, you know, whatever his rationale was. I just, it's such a mystery of what he was doing, similar to what Thresh was doing in the 74th games that I just want to, I want to know. Totally. Yeah, but that was it for for my wonderments. So why don't we head into our last segment? These are our intentions, what we are taking with us after this reading and discussion. So mine is very simply that sometimes I think I know better than people and (laughs) I don't want to be a Hamish or Plutarch and just Mm. assume I know best. So as angry as I am at them for how they've treated Katniss here, like... Not that I would do that to someone, but even in very, very much more small ways or sometimes the attitudes, even if it's not the actions, like, I don't want to be that. It's terrible. Mm. The cautionary tale of Hamish and Plutarch. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tark. That's nice. Oh, that's a weird ship. I know. I I don't, but... Now, actually, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I don't really ship Hamish with anyone because I don't think he can be in a relationship with anyone, sadly. No, that would not be healthy. Yeah. You gotta work on yourself first, Hamish. But what about you? What is your intention? Well, my way of working on myself is that, uh, you know, after the discussion and particularly with again, everything that's happening right now in our society, um, is that I need to, uh, to be less optimistic at times. Um, that while I don't think I am here to help you with that, Chris, I know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I think that, that hope and hopefulness can be a, a, a virtue, but, uh, I do think that optimism, particularly my brand of optimism can at times be naive and so uh yeah i I want to to be more prepared for the worst to happen because it's getting clear that it can and uh yeah that's that's kind of my my intention after seeing not only katniss's preparedness but her resilience throughout this book as well uh and her her motivation to uh continue to resist in small and big ways 
Absolutely. Look at us working on ourselves. <laughs> well, with that, why don't we wrap up? What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So, as you mentioned before, we are going to do our final conclusion episode on Catching Fire. And that means that we'll be talking about some character spotlights. We'll be talking about some themes that we saw in this book and things like that. So, it will be spoiler-filled for things that are happening in Mockingjay. So, if you have not finished that book yet, you can skip that next episode. But yeah, it'll it'll be a good conversation for such an important book in this saga. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media, our website, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us on Patreon so that you can participate in all of our wrap-up book discussions, including listening to our upcoming reaction episode for patrons only of watching the Catching Fire movie. Definitely. And we're super looking forward also to meeting up with our patrons on Zoom to talk about this book and geeking out with you all. It was great fun last time. And also trivia on Catching Fire is coming out this weekend as well. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. And a reminder about the guided creative retreats, which are Harry Potter themed, July 19th as well as July 23rd. If you use the code GEEKOUT, then you will get 15% off. So it's all caps, GEEKOUT at lacelet.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, GEEKOUT! Geek out.